Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard, and today is Thursday, August 25th, 2022, It's been 3,101 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 183 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, unfortunately, our assessment that there would be punitive strikes on civilians and civilian infrastructure on Independence Day was accurate, with 25 people killed and 47 hospitalized in missile attacks across Ukraine. Second, We anticipate more attacks on civilians, civilian infrastructure, and government decision-making centers over the next 24 to 72 hours. Third, the Russian military within Ukraine has become combat-ineffective theater-wide, with ground attacks becoming smaller along the entire 2,450-kilometer-long front. Fourth, due to the Russian military reaching a culmination point, and the Ukrainian military appearing to be unable to capitalize on the loss of Russian momentum, we believe the battlefront will remain frozen across Ukraine for the short term. And finally, the initiative will go to the first belligerent who can make a brigade or larger-sized offensive on any front. Let's take a look at some regional updates. Starting with the Donbass region in the slovyansk bilohorivka berestova triangle, it was the third day in a row that Russian forces did not conduct offensive operations in northeast Donetsk. Russian forces shelled Siversk and the surrounding settlements and Bilohorivka. Ukrainian forces attacked Russian ground lines of communication, called G-locks or supply lines, and a command and control center in Popazna, with rockets fired from Multiple Launch Rocket Systems, or MLRS. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 18th. To recap, on August 13th we assessed there would be continued sporadic fighting in northeast Donetsk, but we did not anticipate renewed significant combat operations. The 2nd Army Corps of the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, is combat ineffective, and incapable of carrying out offensive operations, even with the support of Russian artillery. The destruction of the command center for the 2nd Army Corps in Lysychansk, and the private military company or PMC Wagner Group headquarters in Popazna, 
may have degraded decision-making capabilities. We maintain that any additional fighting in this region before mud season will be positional, spoiling attacks, and probes. To the south in Bakhmut, we've updated Russia's regional goals based on the tactical situation on the ground. To maintain defensive lines, probe for weaknesses in Ukrainian defenses, and achieve a breakthrough before the start of mud season. Pro-Russian sources reported that the 6th Cossack Tank Brigade left the Bakhmut area and was redeployed to Donetsk. PMC Wagner Group, supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion, fought positional battles near Solodar and Bakhmutska. Lacking armor support, they were unsuccessful. The Russian Air Force attacked key Ukrainian positions in Solodar and Bakhmut and attacked Zaitseve. In the Svetlodarsk bulge, Russian forces fought positional battles south and east of Kodema, but did not improve the tactical situation. There were reports of fighting around the train station at Mayorsk. Some assessment, the advance toward Bakhmut has been the most successful offensive since the Russian Ministry of Defense ended the 11-day operational pause on July 16th. Ukraine retreated from Svetlodarsk on May 24th and successfully defended the Vulkhariska thermal power plant through July 26th. Since capturing the plant, Russian proxy forces— mainly PMC Wagner Group supported by terrorist elements of the Imperial Legion and Kadyrovites of the 141st Special Motorized Regiment, have advanced seven kilometers. It took Russian forces 90 days, accounting for terrain, to advance 12 kilometers from Svitlodarsk. The advance to capture Bakhmut has likely reached its culmination point, with Russian combat power exhausted in this region. Before the arrival of HIMARS and improved GLOC interdiction, Russian military leaders would saturate the region with artillery and rocket fire and win an attritional battle. Due to excessive use and deferred maintenance, Russian artillery systems are wearing out. Ammunition supplies are becoming an issue theater-wide, although the issue is relative. Even at 40% of the peak daily fire rate in late June, the quantity of artillery fired remains significant and greater than Ukraine's capabilities. A key difference from late June is that Russian artillery firepower is no longer concentrated on a single axis, such as Luhansk. According to data analysis by Ragnar Gudmundsson, the number of settlements targeted by Russian artillery increased from 50 on June 26th to almost 100 on August 12th. Fewer artillery pieces, fewer shells, spread over a larger area. Russian forces could capture Bakhmut and Solidar before the arrival of Rasputitsa, also known as mud season, but it will require reallocating artillery pieces and military units from other axes. In southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia, we've also updated Russia's objectives to push Ukrainian forces out of firing range of Donetsk City, defend the existing line of conflict in Zaporizhia to the Dnipro River, and bring the insurrection across southwestern Donetsk and Zaporizhia under control. The First Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, lost control of parts of Piski. DNR forces released a propaganda video showing a flag-raising at a bombed-out home as their proof Piski was under Russian control. 
The house was geolocated to the far eastern part of Pisky, on the edge of Donetsk. The same day, another video showed Russian artillery hitting the Ukrainian position in Pisky, 2.5 kilometers to the west. We compared the new video to the one recorded on August 11th to evaluate if they were from the same attack but shot from different angles. The earlier video showed an attack on a block of apartments by a TOS-1 thermobaric weapon near sunset or sunrise. The new video was filmed midday under clear skies and showed more damage to the apartment block. In the new video, the courtyard is scorched, unlike on August 11th, when the area was covered in green vegetation with more trees. Based on the evidence, the new video was recorded on the same day the flag-raising video was made, with the weather conditions matching. Our analysis shows Ukraine controls 30-40% to 40% of Pisky. A quick assessment. If it weren't for bad operational security, or OPSEC, Russian forces wouldn't have any operational security. Separatist troops attempted to push Ukrainian forces out of their positions in the direction of Pervomaisky, but were unsuccessful. Russian forces tried to advance on Nevilsky using main battle tanks and infantry fighting vehicles with inadequate light infantry support. After suffering losses, separatist troops had to retreat. Video from DNR officials confirmed that our war map is accurate, with Russian tanks firing 250 meters from our assessed line of conflict. Ukraine is accused of shelling the Galactica Mall in Donetsk, with multiple videos showing black smoke rising from the complex. There were no reported injuries or deaths from local officials. On the Donetsk-Zaporizhia administrative border, Russian forces attempted to advance on Pavlivka and continued to press toward Velika Novosilka, but did not move the line of conflict. Local news reports showed a significant wildfire burning in Russian-occupied Sidove on the coast of the Azov Sea just a few kilometers from the Russian border. We could not confirm if the fire was from natural causes or related to military activity at the time of recording. Our assessment for southwest Donetsk and western Zaporizhia is unchanged from August 17th. We recapped it on yesterday's episode around minute six. Let's move on to the Kharkiv region. There wasn't any significant ground fighting northwest, north, northeast, or southeast of the city. Russian and Ukrainian forces traded artillery, rocket, and tank fire. The general staff reported that Ukrainian positions in Rubizhne were attacked by the Russian Air Force, indicating that the line of conflict moved north. We maintain Rubizhne is a no-man's land. Our assessment in Kharkiv is the same as it was on August 12th, which we recapped on Friday's episode around minute 9 or 10. On the Izum axis, Russian forces attempted to advance on Dolina, Due to diminishing artillery support, lack of fire control, and the advance conducted mainly by conscripts and unskilled forces, the attack was unsuccessful. There was an attempted advance in the direction of Novodimitrivka by a small Russian force, but they were sent back to Sherwood Forest. In Sherwood Forest, the woods west of Izum, Ukrainian forces and artillery continued to harass Russian positions and G-locks. A video near Izum, likely southeast but we couldn't geolocate, 
shows two Russian soldiers escaping a Ukrainian artillery barrage on bicycles. The morning and evening updates from the general staff reported that Ukrainian positions in Brazhivka were shelled through the day, indicating Ukraine still controls the village. Our assessment for the Azum axis is unchanged from August 8th, which we recapped on Monday's episode around minute 12. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. Looking now at the Dnipro, Kherson, Mykolaiv, and Zaporizhia regions. In the Kherson Oblast, Ukraine struck the Kohovka Bridge again with rockets fired by HIMARS. Video after the attack showed severe damage to the structure. The bridge deck is penetrated in multiple locations, with one of the main supports suffering significant damage. It is unlikely the bridge is passable for any vehicles. There were reports of a rocket attack from HIMARS on Kherson near the Antonovsky Bridge. Russian forces have started towing barges across the Dnipro in an attempt to improve the G-Lock situation. A video showed a convoy of widely spaced supply trucks crossing the span at low speed early on August 25th. Several sources reported that Russian airborne troops, or VDV, attempted to advance north from Oleksandrivka in Kherson, but could not traverse the open fields. Based on reports from Russian and Ukrainian sources, VDV forces may have lost control of the wheat fields between Oleksandrivka and Tavrieska. Russian forces tried to expand their area of control north of Blahodatne in Mykolaiv. Due to the canal north of the town, only a small force could advance through a choke point, and they suffered heavy losses. Russian forces attempted to break through Ukrainian lines near Arkhangelsk, trying to advance in the direction of Mykolaivka in Kherson. Our assessment here is unchanged from August 13th, which we recapped in this past Saturday's episode around minute 9 or 10. In Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia, the situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant is unchanged. The British Ministry of Defense Intelligence released satellite images showing Russian armored personnel carriers and military cargo trucks parked within 60 meters of Reactor 5 under gantries and overhead pipes to conceal their location. The satellite images released by the United Kingdom were taken on August 21st. The Ministry of Defense concluded in their intelligence update for August 25th, quote, while Russia maintains the military occupation of Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, the principal risk to reactor operations are likely to remain disruption to the reactor's cooling systems, damage to its backup power supply, and errors by workers operating under pressure. End quote. The pictures were released ahead of the Russian state Duma holding a special session to release a statement to the United Nations and, quote, all international parliamentary organizations, about Zaporizhia. Deputy Sergei Miranov told reporters, quote, The leaders of the factions will meet again together with the chairman, and approximately, at about 1,500, we will convene the Council of the Duma, at which our tough statement will be adopted, end quote. There is speculation that the Duma will declare Ukraine a terrorist state. 
If Western officials are looking for proof that supports Ukrainian claims that Russian military equipment is located on the grounds of the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, they can watch Russian state media. In a stunning news report on August 24th, the video shows Russian BTR-80 infantry fighting vehicles within the power plant compound by Reactor 2. The video was recorded on July 7th. The news report showed computer displays of the internal systems within the vehicle, including the date. The video claims that Russian officials arrested two Ukrainian spies working for Enerhoatom. Leaders of the military garrison at the power plant claim that the duo documented military troop movements and equipment located at the plant and was sharing the information with Ukrainian officials. Some quick assessment. It is Orwellian for the Kremlin to repeatedly claim Russia has no military presence or equipment at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant and share a news story showing the opposite. The August 24th claim that two Ukrainian spies were taken into custody for allegedly reporting the troop presence and the location of military equipment to Ukrainian officials is stunning. Residents of Enerhodar made a video appealing to Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky to free the city and end the Russian occupation at the power plant. They reported atrocities being committed by occupation forces, including kidnappings and disappearances. A brush fire erupted south of the power plant on Wednesday, and so far, local officials are allowing it to burn. Nikopol and Marinets were shelled again by rockets fired by MLRS from across the Dnipro River. The attack was much smaller than at the start of the month, with 11 grad rockets damaging homes. Krivi Ri was attacked by Tornado S MLRS, which has a range of up to 120 kilometers. Cluster munitions hit the Metalurgini neighborhood, with unexploded ordnance scattered through a civilian neighborhood. Russian missiles struck the railway station in Chapline, which was full of civilians at the time. Just before midnight and about 20 kilometers away, Russian missiles crashed into the town of Velikomikhailivka, wounding almost a dozen people as they slept in their homes. There is more information on both incidents in the War Crimes and Human Rights segment. In the Kyiv region, two Russian missiles struck the Vishorod area north of Kyiv just after midnight. There were no reports of injuries, and local officials said that air defenses had intercepted at least one other missile during the attack. In the West region, at least one caliber cruise missile launched by the Black Sea Fleet slammed into the ground near Mirhorod in the Poltava Oblast. The Russian Ministry of Defense claimed they hit the Ukrainian Air Force base outside of the city, but video after the attack showed the missile successfully carved out a six-meter-deep crater in the middle of a dirt road. The strike caused several spot fires in the immediate area. Russian cruise missiles landed in Shepotivka, according to Serhii Gamali, Kmelnitsky Oblast administrative and military governor. Gamali reported that, quote, Critical infrastructure had been attacked, and the explosion's shockwave blew out windows and took doors off their hinges on nearby apartment buildings. Ukrainian air defense intercepted a Russian cruise missile near Venetia.
Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. The United States announced the largest aid package to Ukraine to date. The almost $3 billion package includes six additional National Advanced Surface-to-Air Missile Systems, or NASMs, with additional munitions, up to 245,000 rounds of 155mm artillery ammunition, up to 65,000 rounds of 120mm mortar ammunition, up to 24 counter-artillery radars, Puma unmanned aerial systems and support equipment for Scan Eagle UAS systems, Vampire counter-unmanned aerial systems, laser-guided rocket systems, and funding for training, maintenance, and sustainment for unspecified equipment. The Pentagon hasn't shared all the details on previous military aid packages, such as the AGM-88 Harm anti-radiation missiles and the modifications made to the Soviet-era MiG-29 fighter jets to support NATO weapons. Due to the value of the latest package, there is speculation that additional military hardware is being provided. The United States has provided $13.5 billion in military assistance to Ukraine since January 21, 2021. Pentagon Deputy Chairman Colin Call told reporters that the United States had not transferred any fourth-generation fighter planes, such as the F-15 Strike Eagle or F-16 Falcon, but negotiations were ongoing. Call told reporters, quote, Even if we provided them now, they would arrive in a few years. So we focused on what concerns the Ukrainian fighters, what they need to support the ongoing containment efforts in the East and a possible counteroffensive. End quote. United Kingdom lame duck Prime Minister Boris Johnson was in Kyiv for Independence Day and met with President Zelensky. During his visit, Johnson announced another military aid package of 850 handheld Black Hornet microdrones. The UK is also preparing to provide Ukraine with minesweepers to patrol the coastal waters of Ukraine. The details have not been released. The first German Gepard self-propelled anti-aircraft guns are in theater in Ukraine. The Gepard has twin 35mm autocannons and is supposed to be very capable of shooting down low-flying aircraft. It can also be used for direct fire and has a range of 6.3 kilometers. The Defense Intelligence of the Ministry of Defense of Ukraine, or GRU, reported no threat of a ground invasion from Belarus, to the Belarusian opposition publication Nexta. Ukrainian State Intelligence, or SBU, reported they detained a spy working for the Russian Federation attempting to locate HIMARS launchers and report the findings to the Russian Ministry of Defense. The man was taken into custody without incident. FSB Colonel Wanted War Criminal Kremlin Pariah and our favorite Russian war critic Igor Gherkin-Strelkov strikes again, sharing how bad the military recruitment situation is in Russia. Strelkov reported that Russian medical doctors are being called to recruitment stations for the army for enlistment. Practicing and certified doctors who went to colleges without a military department can only be accepted as enlisted personnel. Doctors are being told they can join as scrub nurses or field medics, if they sign a three-year contract, they can be transferred to the officer corps as a doctor. 
The GRU reported that the Russian Ministry of Defense is moving personnel from their strategic missile defense forces to fight as ground troops in Ukraine. Additionally, they claim that the military commanders of the Russian naval infantry are unhappy that their amphibious assault troops got pulled into the war during the siege of Mariupol in April. They report severe losses among experienced Marines and are worried about military readiness if they had to deploy to fight on a second front. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is minor graphic detail in today's report, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. Russian cruise missiles blasted the railway station in the town of Chapline in Dnipropetrovsk Oblast, killing at least 25 and wounding 31. Two children are among the dead. An 11-year-old was found in the rubble of a destroyed home, and a 6-year-old was in one of the railroad cars hit by a missile. The attack came 12 hours after Russian Defense Minister Sergei Shoigu declared, quote, During the special operation, we strictly observe the norms of humanitarian law. The strikes are carried out with high-precision weapons at the military infrastructure of the armed forces of Ukraine, command posts, airfields, warehouses, fortified areas, and objects of the military-industrial complex. At the same time, everything is done to avoid casualties among civilians. Of course, this slows down the pace of the offensive— but we are doing it consciously. End quote. Russian opposition politician Yevgeny Roizman was arrested and taken from his apartment for making the statement, quote, the invasion of Ukraine. Roizman was one of the last opposition figures left in Russia who had not been killed, arrested, or forced to flee the country before today. He had been charged with breaking the same law four times and fined for each violation. He faces 10 years in prison for, quote, discrediting the Russian army. Russia has detained more than 16,400 people under the so-called Don't Say War law passed in March. More than 1,000 children from occupied Mariupol have been forcibly removed from their parents and sent to Russia where they have already been adopted. Officials in Krasnodar, Russia, with the City Department of Family Affairs, reported the adoptions in a story which have since been scrubbed from Russian news sites and social media. A Russian missile attack on Kharkiv wounded five people, including a five-year-old child. The missile hit an apartment building while people were sleeping. A missile attack on Velikomikhailivka wounded eight people as they slept in their homes, including a two-year-old child. All were hospitalized in serious condition. Moving on to geopolitical news, United States President Joe Biden is scheduled to talk to President Zelensky today. The two are supposed to discuss the almost $3 billion in military aid announced on Wednesday and other diplomatic issues. In economic news, the United Kingdom reported they imported no energy products from the Russian Federation for the first time on record. In June, imports of Russian coal and oil were down 97 percent. The ruble was flat, with an exchange rate of 60 rubles for one U.S. dollar. 
Oil continued to climb, with WTI crude reaching $95 a barrel and Brent breaking the $100 barrier, closing at $102 a barrel. United States RBOB wholesale gasoline dropped to $2.80 a gallon, or $0.74 a liter. Chicago SRW wheat futures climbed to $0.81 a bushel for December 2022 delivery. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.